Spring, 1934. Tested by dust. While we sat taking our six weeks test, the wind rose and the sand blew right through the cracks in the schoolhouse wall, right through the gaps around the window grass, and by the time the tests were done, each and every one of us was coughing pretty good, and we all needed a bath. I hope we get bonus points for testing in a dust storm. April 1934. Banks. Ma says everything we lost when the banks closed, because they didn't have enough cash to go around. All the money that's ours is coming back to us in full. Good. Now we have money for a doctor when the baby comes. April 1934. Beet wheat. County agent Dewey had some pretty bad news. One quarter of the wheat is lost, blown away, or withered up. What remains is little more than a wisp of what it should be, and every day we have no rain. More wheat dies. County Agent Dewey says, Soon there won't be enough wheat for seed to plant next fall. The piano is some comfort in all this. I go to it, and I forget the dust for hours, testing my long fingers on wild rhythms, but Ma slams around in the kitchen when I play, and after a while she sends me to the store. Joe Delaflore doesn't see me pass him by. He rides his fences dazed by dust. I wince at the sight of his ribbed-thin cattle, but he's not even seeing them. I look at Joe and know our future is drying up and blowing away with the dust. April 1934. Give up on wheat. Ma says, try putting in a pond, Byard. We can fill it off the windmill. We've got a good well. Daddy grumbles. The water will seep back into the ground as fast as I can pump it. Poi, we'll dry up our well, and then we'll have nothing. Plant some other things then, Ma says. Try cotton, sargum. If we plant the fields in the different crops, maybe some will do better. Better than wheat, Daddy says. No, it has to be wheat. I've grown it before. It, I'll grow it again. But Ma says, can't you see what's happening, Bayard? The wheat's not meant to be here. And Daddy says, what about those apple trees of yours, Poi? You think they are? Nothing needs more to drink than those two. But you wouldn't hear of leveling your apples, would you? Ma is bittering. I can see it in her mouth. A pond would work, she says, sounding crusty and stubborn. And Daddy says, Look it, boy, who's the farmer? You or me? Ma says, Who pays the bills? No one right now, Daddy says. Ma starts quaking, but she won't let Daddy see. Instead, she goes out to the chickens and, her anger simmering over like a pot in an empty kitchen, boils itself down doing chores. April 1934. What I don't know. My teacher, Miss Freeland, is singing at the shrine along with famous opera stars from all around the country in a play called Madame Butterfly. I've never heard of that play. Most everyone's heard of Madame Butterfly, Mad Dog says. How does that singing plowboy know something I don't? And how much more out is there? Is out there, most everyone else has heard of, except me. April 1934. Apple Blossoms. Ma has been nursing these two trees for as long as I can remember. In spite of the dust, in spite of the drought, because of Ma's stubborn care, these trees are thick with blossoms, delicate and pinky white. My eyes can't get enough of the sight of them. I stand under the trees and let the petals fall into my ear. A blizzard of sweet-smelling flowers dropped from the boughs of the two placed there, in the front yard by Ma before I was born, that she and they might bring forth fruit in our home, together. 
May 1934, World War. Daddy was just 17 when he fought in the Great War off in France. There's not much he's willing to say about those days except all the poppies. He remembers the poppies, red on the graves of the dead. Daddy says, that war tore France up, worse than a tornado, worse than a dust storm, but no matter, the wild poppies bloomed in the trail of the fighting, brightening the French countryside. I wish I could see poppies growing out of this dust. May 1934, apples. Ma's apple blossoms have turned into hard green balls. To eat them now so tart would turn my mouth inside out, it would make my stomach groan. But in just a couple of months, after the baby is born, those apples will be ready and we'll make pies and sauce and puddings and dumplings and cake and cobbler and just plain apples to take to school and slice with my pocket knife and eat one juicy piece at a time until my mouth is clean and fresh and my breath is nothing but apple. June 1934, dust and rain. On Sunday, winds came, bringing a red dust like prairie fire, hot and peppery, searing the inside of my nose, the whites of my eyes, roaring dust, turning the day from sunlight to midnight. As the dust left, rain came. Rain that was no blessing. It came too hard, too fast, and washed the soil away, washed the weed away with it. Now, little remains of daddy's hard work, and the only choice he has is to give up or start all over again. At the strong ranch, they didn't get a single drop, so who fared better? Ma looks out the window at her apple trees. Hard green balls have dropped to the ground. But there are enough left, enough for a small harvest, if we lose no more. June 1934, harvest. The combines have started moving across the fields, bringing in wheat, whatever has managed to grow. Mr. Tuttle delivered the first load to town, selling it for 73 cents a bushel. Not bad. Mr. Chafin, Mr. Haverstick, and Mr. French, they've delivered their harvest too, dropping it at Joyce City Grain Elevator. Daddy asked Mr. Haverstick how things looked, and Mr. Haverstick said he figures he took eight bushels off a 20 bushel acre. If Daddy gets five bushels to his acre, it'll be a miracle. June 1934, on the road with Arlie. Here's the way I figure it. My place in the world is at the piano. I'm earning a little money playing thanks to Arlie Wanderdale. He and his black Mesa boys have connections and keys and goodwill in Texoma. And every little crowd is grateful to hear a rag or two played on the piano by a long-legged red-haired girl, even when the piano has a few keys soured by dust. At first, Ma crossed her arms against her chest and stared me down, hard-jawed and sharp, and said I couldn't go. But the money helped convince her. And after the compliment from Arlie and his wife, Vera, that they'd surely bring my Ma along to play too, if she wasn't so far gone with a baby coming, Ma said, okay. But only for the summer and only if she didn't hear me gripe how I was tired, or see me dragging my back end around, or having to call me twice upon a morning, or find my farm chores falling down, and only if Arlie's wife, Vera, kept an eye on me. Arlie says my piano playing is good. I play a set of songs with the word baby in the title, like, my baby just cares for me, and walking my baby back home. I pick those songs on purpose for Ma, and the folks that come to hear Arlie's band, they like them fine. Arlie pays in dimes. Ma's putting my earnings away, I don't know where, saving it to send me to school in a few years. The money doesn't matter much to me. I'd play for nothing. When I'm with Arlie's boys, we forget the dust. We are flying down the road in Arlie's car singing, laying our voices on top of the beat. Miller Rice plays on the back of Arlie's seat, and sometimes Vera, up front, chirps crazy noises with no words, and the sounds she makes seems 
just about amazing. It's being part of all that. Being part of Arlie's crowd I like so much. Being on the road, being somewhere new and interesting. We have a fine time. And they let me play piano too. June 1934. Summer 1934. Hope in a drizzle. Quarter inch of rain is nothing to complain about. It'll help the plants above ground and start new seeds growing. The quarter of an inch of rain did wonders for Ma too, who is ripe as melons these days. She has nothing to say to anyone anymore, except how she aches for rain at breakfast, at dinner, all day, all night. She aches for rain. Today, she stood out in the drizzle, hidden from the road and from daddy. And she thought from me, but I could see her from the barn. She was bare as a pear, raindrops sliding down her skin, leaving traces of mud on her face and her long back, trickling dark and light paths, slow tracks of wet dust down the bulge of her belly. My dazzling maw, round and ripe, and striped like a melon. July 1934. Dion quintuplets. While the dust blew down our road against our house across fields, up in Canada, a lady named Elzira Dion gave birth to five baby girls. All at once. I looked at Ma, so pregnant with just one baby. Can you imagine five? I said. Ma lowered herself into a chair, tears dropping on her right stretched belly. She wept just to think of it. July 1934. Wild boy of the road. A boy came by the house today. He asked for food. He couldn't pay anything, but Ma set him down and gave him biscuits and milk. He offered to work for his meal. Ma set him out to see Daddy. The boy and Daddy came back late in the afternoon. The boy walked two steps behind in Daddy's dust. He wasn't more than 16. Thin as a fence rail. I wondered what Livy Killian's brother looked like now. I wondered about Livy herself. Daddy asked if the boy wanted a bath, a haircut, a change of clothes before he moved on. The boy nodded. I never heard him say more than yes sir or no sir or much obliged. We watched him walk away down the road in a pair of daddy's mended overalls, his legs like willow limbs, his arms like reeds. Ma rested her hands on her heavy stomach. Daddy rested his chin on the top of my head. His mother is worrying about him, Ma said. His mother is wishing her boy would come home. Lots of mothers wishing that these days, while their sons walk to California where the rain comes, and the color green doesn't seem like such a miracle, and hope rises daily, like sap in a stem. And I think someday, I'm gonna walk there too, through New Mexico and Arizona and Nevada. Someday I'll leave behind the wind and the dust, and walk my way west, and make myself to home in that distant place of green vines and promise. July 1934, the accident. I got burned bad. Daddy put a pail of kerosene next to the stove, and Ma, fixing breakfast, thinking the pail was filled with water, lifted it to make Daddy's coffee, poured it. But instead of making coffee, Ma made a rope of fire. It rose up above the stove to the pail, and the kerosene burst into names. Ma ran across the kitchen, out the porch door, screaming for Daddy. I tore after her, then, thinking of the burning pail, left behind in the bone-dry kitchen, I knew, back and grabbed it, throwing it out the door. I didn't know. I didn't know Ma was coming back. The flaming oil splashed onto her apron, and Ma, suddenly Ma, was a column of fire. I pushed her to the ground, desperate to save her, desperate to save the baby. I tried, beating out the names with my hands. I did the best I could, but it was no good. Ma got burned bad. July 1934. Burns. At first, I felt no pain, only heat. I thought I might be swallowed by the heat, like the witch in Hansel and Gretel, and nothing would be left of me. Someone brought Doc Rice. He tended Ma first, then came to me. The doctor cut away my 
the skin on my hands, it hung in crested strips. He cut my skin away with scissors, then poked my hands with pins to see what I could feel. He bathed my burns in antiseptic. Only then did the pain come. July 1934. Nightmare. I'm awake now. Still shaking from my dream, I was coming home. Through a howling dust storm, my lowered face was scrubbed raw by dirt and wind. Grit scratched my eyes. It crunched between my teeth. Sand chafed inside my clothes against my skin. Dust crept inside my ears, up my nose, down my throat. I shuddered, nasty with dust. In the house, dust blew through the cracks in the walls. It covered the floorboards and heaped against the doors. It floated in the air everywhere. I didn't care about anyone, anything, only the piano. I searched for it, found it under a mound of dust. I was angry at Ma for letting in dust. I cleaned off the keys, but when I played, a tortured sound came from the piano, like someone shrieking. I hit the keys with my fist and the piano broke into a hundred pieces. Daddy called to me. He asked me to bring water. Ma was thirsty. I brought up a pail of fire and Ma drank it. She had given birth to a baby of flames. The baby burned at her side. I ran away to the Eaton's farm. The house had been tractored out, chipped off its foundation. No one could live there. Everywhere I looked were dunes of rippled dust. The wind roared like fire. The door to the house hung open, and there was dust inside several feet deep. And there was a piano. The bench was gone, right through the floor. The piano leaned toward me. I stood and played. The relief I felt to hear the sound of music after the sound of the piano at home. I dragged the Eaton's piano through the dust to our house, but when I got it there, I couldn't play. I had swollen lumps for hands. They dripped a sickly pus. They swung stupidly from my wrist. They stung with pain. When I woke up, the part about my hands was real. July 1934, a tent of pain. Daddy has made a tent out of the sheet over Ma so nothing will touch her skin. What skin she has left. I can't look at her. I can't recognize her. She smells like scorched meat, her body groaning there. It looks nothing like my Ma. It doesn't even have a face. Daddy brings her water and drips it inside the slit of her mouth by squeezing a cloth. She can't open her eyes. She cries out when the baby moves inside her. Otherwise, she moans day and night. I wish the dust would plug my ears so I couldn't hear her. July 1934. Drinking. Daddy. Found the money Ma kept squirreled in the kitchen under the threshold. It wasn't very much, but it was enough for him to get good and drunk. He went out last night. While Ma moaned and begged for water, he drank up the emergency money until it was gone. I tried to help her. I couldn't aim the dripping cloth into her mouth. I couldn't squeeze. It hurt the blisters on my hands to try. I only made it worse for Ma. She cried for the pain of water running into her sores. She cried for the water that would not soothe her throat and quench her thirst. And the whole time, my father was in Gaiman, drinking. July 1934. Devoured. Doc sent me outside to get water. The day was so hot, the house was so hot. As I came out the door, I saw the cloud descending. It whirred like a thousand engines. It shifted shape as it came, settling first over Daddy's wheat. Grasshoppers, eating tassels, leaves, stalks, then coming closer to the house, eating Ma's garden, the fence posts, the laundry on the line, and then the grasshopper came right over me, descending on Ma's apple trees. I climbed into the trees, opening scabs on my tender hands. Grasshoppers clinging to me. I tried beating them away, but the grasshoppers ate every leaf. They ate every piece of fruit, nothing left but a couple apple cores hanging from Ma's trees. I couldn't tell her, couldn't bring myself to say her apples were gone. I never had a chance. Ma died that day, giving birth to my brother.
Ma died that day. August 1934. Blaine. My father's sister came to fetch my brother. Even as Ma's body cooled, she came to bring my brother back to Lubbock to raise as her own. But my brother died before Aunt Ellis got here. She wouldn't even hold his little body. She barely noticed me. As soon as she found my brother dead, she had a talk with my father. Then she turned around and headed back to Lubbock. The neighbor women came. They wrapped my baby brother in a blanket and placed him in Ma's bandaged arms. We buried both of them together on the rise Ma loved. The one she gazed at from the kitchen window. The one that looks out over the dried up Beaver River. Reverend Bingham, Bingham led the service. He talked about Ma, but what he said made no sense and I could tell he didn't truly know her. He'd never even heard her play piano. He asked my father to name my baby brother. My father hunched over and said nothing. I spoke up in my father's silence. I told the reverend, my brother's name was Franklin, like our president. The women talked as they scrubbed death from our house. I stayed in my room, silent, on the iron bed, listening to the voices. Billy Joe threw the pail, they said. An accident, they said. Under their words, a finger pointed. They didn't talk about my father leaving kerosene by the stove. They didn't say a word about my father drinking himself into a stupor while Ma writhed, begging for water. They only said, Billy Joe threw the pail of kerosene.